had a beautiful time of worship today, wasn't it? God is good to us. Amen. Good to see you, church, and um, what a blessing to be together. <clears throat> well, if I were to do um, a little survey to start out uh, here today, I hope this isn't uh, crass in any way. I don't think it is, but a survey, let's rank the three persons of the Trinity in terms of how well you know them. Okay, rank the three persons of the Trinity in terms of how well you know them. Number one, uh, for sure, Jesus. We, we would all say that we feel like we know Jesus the best. Uh, number two would be the Father. And then, then I think like running a distant third in terms of members of the Trinity that we know best, I think a distant third would be the Holy Spirit. We find him to be so uh, mysterious. We never really uh, feel like we have a good handle on who exactly the Spirit is because unlike the Father who's actually described to us in terms of being a father, that's helpful to us actually. And Jesus, of course, we have so much on him and he was actually incarnate in human flesh and so it's so easy for us in many ways to identify with him. So he gets the number one spot for sure. But the Holy Spirit is usually described in the scriptures in ways that I can't really fully identify with. For example, the Holy Spirit is described as fire, as a dove, as wind, as breath, as water. Now, these aren't things that I normally identify with or, or can understand really uh, what it would be like to be those things. And so, well, let's just say the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious person of the Trinity. And yet it's critical that we understand him as best we can, given his central role in our lives. How important of a role he plays in the day-to-day -day life of every follower of Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand him as best we can. And we're uh, pounding away in this series at seven must-believes for Christians. And the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, or pneumatology, is certainly among the must-believes. And so are you um, ready to get right at it? Yeah? Ready to get right at it? Okay, here we go. Here it is. Remember, all of these messages have this first statement, what I believe, and you're going to say this for yourself, what I believe. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit, is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He has specific functions that he plays uh, or fulfills within the Godhead, but he is God. And um, I will just say this, uh, again, like all of these messages, if you've been here for the past a couple of weeks, three weeks now of this series. It is a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. A lot of it's going to come at you in the next little while. But this message, this single message, is based on a four-part series that I did four years ago, simply called The Holy Spirit. And if you go to the resource page that we've set up for this series, harvestberry.ca slash here I stand, you'll find a link there to the four-part series where... We explore all that you're going to hear in this one message. We explore that, but in a, uh, can I just say, at a, at a better pace, okay? Where there's a lot more given to you, but it's, it's going to be paced out a little bit better. And so, I'll source that if you want to dive into this a little further. Okay, so what I believe, God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Uh, why I believe that? Uh, first, I can see that the Holy Spirit works in salvation. I can see that. I, I, I can see that really in four different areas, and those of you who are note-takers, you have your pens out right now. I'm going to give you four words that I want you to write down, then we'll kind of unpack those a little bit here, but here's how the Spirit works in salvation. Uh, convicting, that's the first word, 
convicting, regenerating, baptizing, and sealing. Okay, those are the four words. Convicting, regenerating, baptizing, and sealing me. Let's start in John 16, 8. Turn to the scriptures. Jesus said this of the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, he came, by the way, Jesus is speaking here in the gospel prior to his ascension, but he's speaking about Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came uh, to those who were believers. And so anytime he's talking in the future about the Holy Spirit coming, he's talking about Acts 2. We're going to see that a few times here in this message. And so he came in Acts chapter 2. Jesus had ascended. He made his presence known in the early church. There's no denying the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. In fact, the history we have of the early church is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it's kind of inappropriately named because it really should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what we're reading. It's how the Holy Spirit was working in those early years of the church. Okay, so when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, we have so emphasized the work of Christ in salvation, and there's no doubt that the function that Christ played is central to the message of salvation, no doubt about it. But we've so emphasized the work of Christ in salvation, listen, that we are ignorant in some ways of how the Spirit works. Now, back to those four words. The first one, and based on John 16, 8, convicting of sin. Convicting of sin. See, apart from confession that we're sinners, unable to save ourselves, we cannot be saved. It's the Holy Spirit who actually brings us to the place of knowing that. And as a preacher, you might think that I need to push real hard on those who are unbelievers to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's no doubt I say that. I'm pretty sure I say it in almost every message, that if you're not a follower of Christ, you should become one today. But that's about as hard sell as it ever really gets with me. I don't ever feel like I need to coerce anyone or force anyone or ever be a pushy about this. And here's why. The Spirit convicts of sin, not the preacher. The Spirit convicts of sin, not the preacher. If there's a person in this room today, and, and, and chances are there, there is, if there's a person here who's not a follower of Christ, and today is their day to become a follower of Christ, that's not going to happen because of anything I say or because I've pushed them into it. That's going to happen because, <clears throat> listen now, the Holy Spirit convinces them and convicts them of their sin, and they see their need of Christ quite apart from anything I'm doing or anything anyone else is doing. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts and convinces of sin and draws people, listen, in an irresistible way to Christ. And so here's the thing. This is the reason why I don't need to force it. Because if you're to become a follower of Jesus Christ today, you cannot resist it. You can't stop it. There's nothing you can do to hinder it. There's nothing I can do to hinder it. I can't make it happen, and I can't stop it from happening. If you're going to become a follower of Christ today, it's going to happen. Because the Holy Spirit's going to make it happen. Convicting you of your sin and seeing your need of Christ. The only solution you have for solving that sin problem. So that's the first part, convicting. And then notice, the Spirit is the one who regenerates 
or brings to life. That's what regeneration means. It means I, I'm dead in my sin. That's the condition that all of us are in before Christ. We're dead in our sin, alive physically, but dead spiritually. And it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates or brings to life the one who is dead in their sins. This is what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He, Jesus, saved us. That is to say, he proclaimed the message of the kingdom. He gave his life on the cross, was crucified, shed his blood for our sins, and was resurrected to new life, defeating death in the grave. Jesus saved us. Now listen, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because I was moral enough, not because I was generous enough, not because I served people enough, not because of anything I did, not my works of righteousness, not in any way, but according to his own mercy. Then notice, okay, his own mercy referring to Jesus, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that gives us new life in Christ. At that moment of salvation, once we are regenerated, having been drawn to God by the Holy Spirit and convicted of our sins, then we are baptized, not by water, but by the Spirit. Water baptism is an outward testimony later, but we are baptized by the Holy Spirit and then, notice, sealed Sealed, making our, our salvation an unchangeable reality. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm so convinced of this, and uh, largely because of verses like this one, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, okay, you heard the gospel, gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, came to faith in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, okay, the final salvation at the last day, when we see Jesus face to face, and our sin is no more, and death's no longer a problem, and we're with him for eternity, okay, until we acquire that to the praise of his glory, until we get there, it's guaranteed. It's sealed by the Spirit. Now listen, when God guarantees something, it's guaranteed, correct? It's guaranteed. Okay, like if you bought an appliance from Sears, not guaranteed. <laughs> not guaranteed. Okay? But when God guarantees something, it's set for eternity. That's never going to change. God guarantees it. But you can't lose what God assures you, you will have. Well, that's the Spirit's work in salvation. Notice this, secondly, the Spirit works to support. He does this. You're still writing down some notes here. Three words I'm going to give you. Indwelling, comforting, and interceding for. Okay, comforting, indwelling, comforting, and interceding for. Um, every true Christ follower is indwelt by the Spirit. Now, of all the things that you could have thought of when you first woke up this morning, a majority of you probably thought coffee. <laughs> I get that. I get that. I wonder if any of us woke up this morning saying, the Holy Spirit is inside of me. 
I wonder how many of us actually give any thought at all to while we're rolling out of bed to start our day, the Holy Spirit is also rolling out of bed with us. And as we walk downstairs to make our coffee, the Holy Spirit is going with us. And the Holy Spirit is with us, indwelling us, going with us in every moment of our day. Everything we look at, the Holy Spirit sees. Every word we speak, the Holy Spirit hears. Every action we take, the Holy Spirit is there. He's indwelling us as the followers of Jesus Christ. I wonder if we give any thought to that. God lives inside of me. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is the dwelling place of God, my body. And if we really came to understand that, would that not be a life altering realization does that not affect every word we speak and everything we look at and every action we take and every interaction we have with another person the holy spirit's in me that is a life-changing realization he indwells me he also um he also comforts me he, in, in, in this word, in its essence, means he comes alongside me. In, in fact, let's unpack that a little bit more. Jesus said this in John 14, uh, 15 through 17. Again, this is prior to the book of Acts, so prior to the coming of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. There's that word. To be with you forever. There's the guarantee. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. This is for believers only. You know him, he says to his disciples. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, a reference to the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit would come to them. Now that word helper, go back and look at that. That word helper is translated in other versions. If you're holding another version in your hand, you might see the word counselor or comforter or advocate. Or encourager. And all of those words really are good words that try to capture the essence of what the original language word is, which is the Greek word parakletos. Okay, parakletos. Sometimes preachers will even use the word paraclete, bringing that into English and, and using it as an English word. We call the Holy Spirit the paraclete. And the reason why we sometimes borrow from the original language and just use the word is because there isn't a single English word that actually captures the full meaning and impact of what paraclete means. That's exactly the situation we have here. And so all of these words, counselor, comforter, advocate, encourager, helper, they all capture it. But all of them are limited in their scope. The word really means someone who is called to one's aid or someone who comes alongside in support. And one of the best illustrations we have of that here in our ministry, I think there are many illustrations of it, but one of the best ones is in our biblical soul care ministry. This is what happens, and this is what um, distinguishes what we do in biblical soul care versus a straight counseling ministry, is, is we have a counselor, and we have a counselee who's coming to the counselor for help, but we, um, in a majority of cases, we would request that the counselee also have someone that's called an advocate who comes with them to all the counseling sessions. Okay, they're not counseling, they're an advocate. They're coming alongside the counselee. They hear everything the counselor says. 
And then when the counseling session is over, in that period of time between sessions, or even if the counseling is over, that advocate is there to encourage, to come alongside, to remind about the counsel that they've heard, to help enact the principles that they've been learning from God's word so that they can walk in the newness of life and have the victory they're looking for for, for go, having gone to the counseling in the first place. That's a beautiful picture of it. That advocate is a paraclete, one who comes alongside. That's what the Holy Spirit does for every single one of us, every minute of our lives as we seek to walk with Christ. God does that for us, and you can count on the Holy Spirit to hold you, to help you, to comfort you, to counsel you, to come alongside you. You are never away from his presence and his help. No matter how dark the valley is, no matter how difficult the days you're going through, no matter the struggles you're facing, the Holy Spirit will never, never leave you. That's a great assurance that we have from God. And so he, he indwells us, he comforts us. And then um, another means of support that the Holy Spirit has for us, the Spirit works to support us, uh, would be his intercession for us. In essence, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. Uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27, we see that the Spirit is interceding for us in a pretty powerful and inexplicable way. This is what it says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I think I never feel weaker than when I'm praying. It's interesting. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. I don't know what to pray. I'm in this difficult situation. I have two paths in front of me. I don't know which one's the right path. I'm praying to God for guidance. I have this huge dilemma I'm facing. I don't know how to approach it. I have this difficult person in my life. I'm not sure what even to pray about that. I'm just at a loss. I've gone along this path so long that I've actually run out of ideas of how to pray for this. Anybody ever been in that situation? I just don't even know how to pray. Well, Paul addresses that. Okay? We do not know what to pray as we ought. How do I know that what I'm praying, if I pray for this thing, is actually the will of God? I don't know. I don't know if that's the right thing to pray for. And Paul takes the pressure off of us here, or rather, the Holy Spirit takes the pressure off of us here by saying this, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, okay, we're just, we've just been freed up. Pray what you need to pray. Pray what you think is best. Bring these things before the Lord. God, according to your will and not mine. And then the Holy Spirit takes that prayer, whatever it is, however halting it is, however wrong-headed it might be or how off the mark it might be, the Holy Spirit takes that prayer and intercedes for us in, in a language we don't even get, groanings too deep for words, can't even really explain it, that by the time it, it reaches the ears of the Father, which all happens in like not even any time, by the time it reaches the ears of the Father, it's conformed to his will because the Father already knows the thing that's best for us. He already does. Isn't this a freeing verse for us to know that the Holy Spirit is there in the midst of our prayers, interpreting our prayers and praying these prayers back to the Father in such a profound and inexplicable way? Because he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So don't, don't, don't worry too much about what you're praying and whether or not it's God's will. 
The Spirit's going to take your faith-filled prayers. He's going to take your sincerity and your passion. And in essence, the Spirit's going to pray the right thing for you before the Father. All right, that's, that's some pretty awesome support, don't you think, that the Holy Spirit gives to us? All right, so the Holy Spirit works in salvation. He works to support us. And then uh, the Spirit works in service, in our service for Him. And uh, some key words here, uh, if you're jotting these down, uh, fills, the Spirit fills, anoints, gifts, and leads. So the Holy Spirit fills or anoints you. He gives you gifts, abilities, talents, and he leads you to serve others in the name of Christ. So the Apostle Paul, in many of his letters, he's directing people in the early churches about how they were to work for Christ. We talk about a disciple here being someone who worships Christ, walks with Christ, and works for Christ. You want to be a fully orbed um, disciple of Christ? Those three W's are important. But here we're talking about working for Christ. And no exemptions here. If you're saved, you're serving. If you're saved, you're serving. And, and if you're not serving, if you're claiming to be saved and you're not serving, you don't understand your salvation. There's something you're not getting about what Jesus did for you. And so you ought to be serving him. Every follower of Christ should be. If you're serving, then, if you're saved and you're serving, here's what's happening. The Spirit is working through you to accomplish more than you ever could on your own. Using the very same talents and abilities. Paul told the Corinthian church this. This is 1 Corinthians 12 where he teaches all about this. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. There are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now pause for a second and notice the Trinitarian formula there. That he refers to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He refers to the Spirit. He refers to the Lord which in the New Testament is always a reference to Jesus. And then he refers to God or God the Father. Okay, So you have the Trinity all mentioned there. We looked at that last week. Then he says, the gifts are empowered by the Spirit in each person. All of the varieties of service and activities, no matter what they are, are going to be used by God and empowered by God so that great things happen as a result. And so I got to thinking about all these varieties of service, all of these varieties of activities. Hopefully I hit all of these. I mentioned already our biblical soul care ministry, those who set up the communion. I mean, you don't think that those trays just magically appear every communion week, do you? I mean, somebody actually fills all those little cups. People do that. The, uh, the bat team, did you know we had a bat team? Okay, the baptismal assistance team. That's cool. You want to be part of the bat team? I'm the Batman. So you could do that. <laughs> the prayer team, the elders, our staff team, youth leaders, the counting team, the worship team, the welcome team, the production team, the harvest a kids a team, the Awana workers, those who work in parking, in hospitality, in cafe, those in small group leadership and coaches, those who are part of a brand new team, our cleaning team who work with Thomas to clean the facility during the week. I mean, so many different ways. All of these varieties of service and varieties of activities, and no matter what they are, they're being used and empowered by God in each of us. And so again, when something great happens around here, when marriage is restored, when people are getting straight with Jesus, when people are confessing their sin and becoming followers of Jesus, not a single person can take credit for any of it. No one. 
Not a leader, not a worker. None of us is so great at what we do that any of us can say, I made that happen. No, you did not. This is the church of the living God who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Anything good that happens around here is the result of the Spirit of God. We take no credit. It happened because of what the Spirit is doing and His empowering of those gifts and talents. God gets the glory. Amen? God gets the glory. All right. One last one for this section. Ready for it? Here's the last one. The Spirit works to sanctify. Here's some more words. Um, Purifying illuminating and assuring, purifying, illuminating, and assuring you of your salvation. Now, a key passage here while you're writing things down, Galatians 5, 16 to 24, it's a lengthier passage, and we're not actually going to look into it. It's not going to be up on the screen, but just jot it down, Galatians 5, 16 to 24. We're actually told in that passage to walk by the Spirit. We're told to walk by the Spirit. That is to say, I'm going to live my life as if, like I said earlier in the message, as if the Holy Spirit, because He is, indwelling me. I'm walking with Him. I'm walking by His path. I'm sensitive to the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells me. And I'm taking into account by doing that, that there's a battle that's going on inside of me every single day, every minute of the day, to actually continue to walk by the Spirit. And this is what Paul goes into in Galatians 5. And he talks about the battle between the flesh and the Spirit. And he actually says, yeah, we're talking about the flesh and the Spirit. He says, these are opposed to each other. And sometimes when you're reading the Scripture, you're like, duh, of course I knew that. That's like the most obvious thing anyone could ever say Because I know I'm fully aware of the battle that's going on inside of me with regard to the flesh and the spirit. I mean, I, I wonder how many of us in this room, maybe you could just raise your hand for a second. You would just say, this week, at some point since the last time we were together, I had a battle inside of me between the flesh and the spirit. Just Would that be anybody here? Okay. And some of you didn't raise your hand, and that was a battle right there that you lost, okay, frankly. Okay. Your flesh told you, I am not raising my hand. And the Spirit was telling you, you should raise your hand, and you lost. So thank you so much for illustrating my point. See, the Spirit is actively working to purify us, to sanctify us, to make us holy, to set us apart from the world. This happens by crucifying the flesh. That's kind of like a one-time thing, and it's an ongoing thing that I need to be daily crucifying the flesh. This is what Jesus said in Luke 9.23, that if you want to follow him, you have to take up your cross daily. What do you think that means? Well, I'm going to daily crucify the flesh in my life because I know it's just this ongoing battle. These are opposed to each other, as Paul said. I want to replace the works of the flesh, again, that phrase from Galatians 5, and replace it in my life with the fruit of the Spirit, which are listed in Galatians 5. Works of the flesh, out, daily, working on that. Fruit of the Spirit, in, daily, minute by minute even, working on that. And that's only going to happen to the extent that we get ourselves under the authority of God's Word. So we've talked about the purifying part. That's what God is trying to do. How's that going to happen? Well, I'm going to get under the authority of this. i got to get this open 
and I'm not, the only way that the Spirit's going to kind of win those battles over the flesh is if I'm saturating my life in the Word of God, and this is where the work of the illumination of the Spirit actually happens in my life. Look at John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, and again, He has come for us, He will guide you into all truth. Okay, that's where the Spirit's going to lead you every time. But understand that the Spirit of God inspired this Word of God. We looked at that in the first message. He inspired this. And so if you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, it's not something mystical or crazy. I'm waiting for a word from God. Here it is. Here it is. Okay? The Holy Spirit inspired this for us to read and find out what His will is. Okay, so that's what's going on here. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We have it in our hands. 1 Corinthians 2, 13, uh, 12 and 13 say, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. He's talking about the scriptures now. He's talking about the word of God, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And so the Spirit works in us to show us how to live out these truths. We have the Word of God open in front of us. This is what we want the Spirit to do. Father, teach me through your Holy Spirit how to live this out. Okay, that's the prayer. And so this is, I know the word of interpretation is using there, interpreting these things, but this is not so much interpretation, but interpretation for the purpose of application. Okay, so interpretation, the thing about interpreting the Bible is this. There's actually a science to it or a process that you follow to properly interpret the Bible. And so even someone who does not have the Holy Spirit, someone who's not a believer, not a Christian, can go to the Bible, apply the principles that we have of interpretation, and can actually come up with a correct interpretation of what this book says and then not believe it. You can interpret this without the Holy Spirit. What you cannot do is take that interpretation and say, oh, this is the way my life needs to change. I see how this applies to my life right now. I see how I was going through this this week, and I was wondering about this, and the Word of God is speaking to it, and I need to alter whatever's going on in my life to, uh, to align myself with God's will. That's the work of illumination. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing as we're opening ourselves up to hearing what the Word of God actually says. The Spirit's showing me how to apply these truths, and to live them out. All right, got all of that. What I believe, God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We looked at four reasons why we believe that. And now let's uh, get to this, because uh, doctrine matters, but it only matters if it's changing our lives, okay? We learn the doctrine so that things can be happening in the way we live. So that gets us to this, how I'm living because of it. First, I'm born again, and I hope you are. I'm born again. I, I hope that every person in this room is born again. Now, I, I hear sometimes, and I, I need to address this, because we're a non-denominational church, which means that we certainly have people who come from no church background and have made this their church home and, and have come to faith in Christ, but we have a lot of people who come from a lot of different backgrounds. And, and with all of that church tradition, the, the waters can get a little muddy at times. And so sometimes when I'm meeting somebody and I'll, I'll say, so tell me about your faith journey. And then they'll say something like this. I've always been a Christian. Now, I'm usually meeting them for the first time. And I want to scream out and say, no, you have not. 
No, no one has always been a Christian. You want to know what you've always been? Correct. Good theology. You've, you've always been a sinner, born in sin. Human nature is the sin nature. Okay, that's what you've always been. But you've not always been a Christian. There, there had to have been a moment in time where you understood the gospel and you responded to it. See, being raised in a religious or godly home, doing the church thing, following traditions, that's not going to fix the sin problem. Sacraments and rituals and confirmation and professions of faith, those things don't save you. At some point along the way, you must be born again. You say, well, that's just a phrase that some southern preacher came up with. Y'all need to be born again. No, not actually. That's not just a line that some gospel preacher came up with. God actually used that line. Jesus used that line in his conversation with Nicodemus, who, by the way, was a very religious man and who probably would have said something like this, I've always believed in God when he was talking to Jesus, because in his mind, that's what it was. John 3, 5 to 8, in a portion of the conversation here, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. And what does that mean, born of water and born of the Spirit? Well, born of water, um, maybe I could just tell you this little story, and you'll understand what born of water is. Don't get ahead of me. So when Cheryl was pregnant with Joel, we were watching the news one night, very close to her due date, past her due date maybe, and her water broke. Now this was a first child for us. I didn't understand this concept of being born of water and the amount of water. <laughs> Cheryl said, get me a towel. So I ran to the closest bathroom and I brought out a hand towel. <laughs> and she said to me, I don't think you understand. Born of water. Born of water is natural birth. It's just that human birth that we had. So unless you're born of water, Jesus said, and the spirit. And this is the thing that Nicodemus, we're not looking at it right now, but if you look at John 3, you'll see it. Nicodemus wasn't getting it. How can a man get back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus said, no, you're not understanding. You have to be born that way like every human being and born of the Spirit. And unless this happens, Jesus said, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You're just a human being and, and you have the sin nature. And that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. There it is. Jesus said it. Then he says this, because Nicodemus, I mean, he must have been looking at Nicodemus' face and going, he is not getting it, okay? That look of bewilderment. Jesus said to him, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. We obviously believe in the wind. We don't know how that starts. We don't know where it ends up, but we can see the effects of it. That's what Jesus is saying. Then he says, it's exactly what it is with salvation. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. You may not get it, but when you got it, when you have it, you know it. 
You don't know how it starts. You don't know how it ends. You, you don't know any of the other parts of it. All you know is it happened. I've been born again. I've been born of the Spirit. And those two things are the same, to be born again, to be born of the Spirit. And if you don't, here's what I'm going to say. If you don't have a story of when that happened to you, then you have no real claim on Christ. You don't have salvation. You got to know that there was a point in time, there was a moment when you came to this realization and you were born not of the flesh, but of the spirit in that moment. All right, and if you're born again, look at this secondly, we should be walking confidently with Christ by the spirit. Now this is from Galatians 5.25. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Confidently walking with him, nothing uh, rattling my faith. This is the assurance of our salvation coming as a result of walking confidently with him. This is what Paul says is having the fruit of the spirit in our lives. We can do this. And if you're looking at your life, if you're looking into the mirror, do you see a person who you would say, that's a person who's walking in step with the spirit? The other people in your life, your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, the people in your small group, the people you serve with, the people in your workplace, your neighbors, would they all say, that's a person who's walking in step with the Spirit. I see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Is there evidence of genuine faith in Christ and genuine work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you confident in both that profession of faith. Yes, I decided. I know the moment. I know when I was born again. But then also, not just in the, uh, in the profession of faith, but also in your progress in the faith, is there evidence of both of those things? And when you have that kind of confidence, then no trial you face and no setback that comes your way, no circumstances that would ever come your way, none of that would rattle you, none of it would compromise your faith, even when other people around you who profess faith in Christ are failing around you and falling, it doesn't affect you because you have the Holy Spirit in you and nothing's gonna change that. I have this confidence and I, I'm, I can't shake the sense, no matter what's going on in my life, that God is with me and I wouldn't think for a second of ever walking away from him. That's the assurance that every one of us can have. All right, born again, walking confidently, ministering faithfully. Uh, Paul wrote, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we looked at some verses there already, uh, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, uh, a manifestation here, he's equating this with the gift of the Spirit, which we look at as being natural talents or abilities, okay, gifts that we have from him things that we use in our place of service. Let me list some of these. This isn't a, a full list by any means, but uh, maybe you have the gift of teaching or the gift of mercy or compassion. Maybe you have the gift of intercession or music or helps or giving or leadership or administration. Maybe you have one of those gifts, talents, abilities, and when you, you pair that up with a passion, I love working with junior high kids, I love the littlest kids, I, I really just love serving people and doing some things behind the scenes, whatever it happens to be, when you pair up passion with the gifting and you have something powerful that God's going to use, and every one of us need to ask ourselves, because he gives it to each one, 
What is my spiritual gift? What is the way that the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in me? Now, the thing about reading that list of gifts is it doesn't sound particularly supernatural. And there are people outside of the church who don't have Christ who are able to do all of these things as well. And so what's the difference? What makes it a manifestation of the Spirit where literally it is this, that the Spirit shows up in the service that you're giving? The difference between a non-Christian who's teaching and a Christian who's teaching is that the, the, the non-Christian is just communicating information, okay, and that's great, but what we're looking for here in this preaching and proclamation of the Word of God is life transformation, and that's the part that only the Holy Spirit can do. I can certainly just impart information. We can all nod our heads and feel like we learned something and walk out of this place, and that would be no different than going to the Rotary and hearing a speech. The difference here is that as I'm proclaiming this through no uh, strength of my own, but as I'm proclaiming this, the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself through it. And you're all thinking, man, how does my life need to change as a result of what I've heard today? Okay, that's the manifestation of the Spirit. And the fact is, you and I have no idea how the Spirit might be using our service, whatever it is, to impact a life and to bring glory to God. Cheryl and I, um, I, re I really have two principal jobs that I do uh, during the weekend services. And if I don't get to spend a lot of time with those who are a regular part of our church family, please understand why that happens. Uh, the two jobs that I do when I'm here on a weekend is this, to proclaim God's word. And the second job I do is I go to Guest Central and Cheryl and I meet all of the newcomers who are here for the first time. We give them a gift. We get to know them a little bit. We talk to them about the church. That's, that's my whole job. That's what I do when I'm here on the weekends. And, and we've, since we've come into 7 George Street, this is our 14th weekend in uh, since we moved in, and we have seen an extraordinary number of people in Guest Central. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of guests in the past three months. And Cheryl and I are, are meeting all of these people, and we're so grateful for all of that. And a few weeks ago, um, um, one man came um, here with his family from out of town. Uh, couldn't make this his church home, uh, lives far enough away. But he was speaking, he's around my age, and he was speaking through tears with his family there, just speaking through tears about the heartache and the brokenness that's going on in his life and his family's life right now and related to some things that are going on in, in their church. And, um, and before I finish this, I, I need you to understand that some of us serve in more prominent roles. I'll just use that word because it's the best word. Some of us, like the worship team and, and myself, we the pastors, we serve in more prominent roles up here, and so there's a steam that comes with this. But there's a lot of people, the majority of people who actually serve in this church serve in, in relative anonymity, and, and you're behind the scenes, less prominent, less esteemed roles. But the scriptures make it super clear that no role is more important than, than another. And we need to all understand that. That, that as the Holy Spirit works, the Holy Spirit's going to use all of us together as the one body in Christ to accomplish something awesome here that the Holy Spirit's going to take credit for. Okay, so that is a little bit of an aside. Now, this man and his family are in Guest Central. We're uh, talking to him. And um, what impacted this man? And through tears, he told me what was going on. But then he said what, what impacted him about being here was when he drove into the parking lot and he saw our parking team with orange vests on waving and smiling and welcoming he and his family to our church and of all the things that he could have mentioned the sermon the worship 
the friendliness of the people in the building, what the building itself looked like, of all the things he could have listed, the thing that he said was, there were people in the parking lot who welcomed me. Who does that? Direct quote. Who does that? Now, I, I want to do this right now. If you're on the parking team, would you stand right now? If you, if you serve in an, uh, on our parking team, just stand up for a moment. Now, here's what, here's what I want to say to you. You're not there to park cars. Okay, like... All of us park in parking lots all, all week long, okay? We understand how the lines work and where the cars go, okay? Please understand, you're not there to park cars. You're on the parking team to be the first line of people who welcome guests to this place in Jesus' name. And you are doing so. Listen, it doesn't take a lot of training to be on the parking team, okay? Can you wave? Demonstrate a smile. Are you able to get the vest on? Okay, pretty much that's it. Okay, that's the whole thing. Okay, so it doesn't take a lot of training, doesn't take a lot of gifting, but here's what's happening. For that man, through tears, who does that? Who welcomes people? That's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit meeting a person in their need and helping them. That beat on that day, that beat the sermon, the worship, it beat everything. Every role matters. All right, thanks, guys. think you get it the verse says this to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good what's the common good that people would be drawn to Christ and be saved and be filled with the Holy Spirit that's the common good all right ready for the last one here we go maturing steadily Ephesians 4 uh, 30 says this it's a warning do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed there's that sealing again. Okay, you're sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing's changing that. But along the way, don't grieve the Spirit. This is Ephesians. This is a mature church that Paul's writing to. These are people who are followers of Jesus Christ. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to those who have professed faith in Christ and are walking with him. And he's saying, along the way, while you're walking with him, it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Make him sad. I'm almost certain I did that this past week. I'm almost certain I did. And when we grieve him, despite all the ways we try to rationalize our actions and make excuses and, well, it's because of this and give ourselves a pass, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we, we know it, don't we? Like when you grieve the Spirit, you know it, don't you? You know it. Even while you're making the excuses, you know it. There's no reason to grieve the Holy Spirit for the followers of Christ. And we need to be maturing steadily towards fewer and fewer and fewer times that we grieve him. Greater lengths of time between those points when we grieve the Spirit. That's maturing steadily. And for some of us here, the takeaway is this for the followers of Christ. There's some repenting I may need to do. For the times when I have grieved the Holy Spirit in my life and I need to get back on track to maturing steadily with him and not grieving him. So this is it. Here I stand. The Holy Spirit is the third person 
of the Trinity. And I need you to hear this quote from Tozer because I don't want any of us to go away thinking, well, you know, the Holy Spirit is it's a special class of people who have that going on in their life. Tozer said this, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people, for all of His people. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 5.18. He said, do not be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by anything else. But be filled with the Spirit. That's you and me, every one of us, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The worship team is going to lead us. I'm not going to pray. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray out this song. Let us become more aware of his presence. Let us become more aware of his presence. Let us experience the glory of his goodness. You're going to get to pray those words in a few moments. Let's stand together. Let's pray and sing and worship together.